Hey guys, welcome to episode number three of Stir the Pot, a podcast all about food and the people that love it. Today's episode has an international flair as I am joined by the amazing American food writer, Queen of Cookies, Dory Greenspan. We recorded the episode a couple of weeks ago at Dory's house in Paris, and I'm currently editing this episode whilst on holiday in San Francisco. As I record the episode, I'm currently looking out of my hotel room over the bay, looking at the fog slowly drift in, before I head out for a night of tacos and cocktails in the mission. So I'm going to keep this brief, and I'm going to get straight to the main deal. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Dory is a wonderful person, incredibly kind and encouraging, and is someone with an infectious love of food, and especially when it comes to baking. Her latest book is Dory's Cookies, and it comes out in a couple of weeks, and I was lucky to have a sneak peek, and I think it's going to be another wonderful book. It is a tomb of cookie baking, so many different types are covered, and there's so much to discover and bake. If you don't know Dory, she is a wonderful food writer who has written countless books on baking, including writing books for Julia Child and Pierre Hermé. I really hope you enjoyed the episode, so without... Any further ado, let's get straight into it. So um, again, I just want to say a massive thank you for having me in your kitchen. Um, I always describe you as one of the nicest people in food. You have an infectious personality and I am thrilled that you've joined me on the podcast today. Oh, you are so sweet. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. One day I'll get to see you in London, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And we always see one another in Paris. Well, yeah, in Paris or maybe in New York. I, I like to get to the States a little bit. So I'm actually going to San Francisco in two weeks, but um, sadly not New York in the current plan, but hopefully soon. We'll keep that finding one another someplace. <laughs> yes. um, so we start off the podcast with one question every episode. Yours is slightly different, um, mainly because considering that... 13, you burnt down your parents' kitchen. Mm, I did. (laughs) Yeah. might have seemed like an unlikely option for you. So how did food become such a big part of your life? Necessity. (laughs) As is often the case. I got married when... um, Well, okay, back up. I burned my parents' kitchen down when I was 13. It's true. Um... Did I mention that they had just renovated the kitchen? No, yeah, yeah. No. It was they had just painted it. Yeah, it was also pretty. And um, I burned it down while my parents were out at some fancy thing. And when they came home, they found me and my two brothers and the babysitter who had slept through all of this, um, and the complete you know fire department and the <laughs> fire trucks sitting outside the house and my mother came out and I can remember what she was wearing. She was wearing this beautiful white satin dress that had sparkly things and a big poofy skirt. And she took one look at us and she said, everybody's okay? And we said, yes. And then she just fell apart completely. (laughs) She just cried. Um, For the kitchen or? Um... I think first she cried, I'd like to think that first she cried because she was so happy that we were safe, then she probably cried because, what was I doing in the kitchen? I'd never been there before, why had I decided, and then she cried for the kitchen up. It was it was a mess. So needless to say, um, I didn't go back into the kitchen, not that kitchen. I think you'd be quite scared to go back in the kitchen after that. Well, what was interesting was I had never been in the kitchen, I had never cooked anything. This was my first attempt. I was with two friends. 
um, the babysitter was asleep. We, I was too old to be babysat, but I had two younger brothers, and we decided to make frozen French fries. <laughs> and so we put a pot of oil oh, no. up to boil. This sounds right. Put a dangerous. cover on it. Right. It well, and it was. So anyway, never having cooked before, I didn't cook again. Um, but I got married. To the wonderful Michael Greenspan, whom you've met. I have. He's a wonderful man. Thank you for saying that. I'll tell him you said so. <laughs> um, we got married when I was 19 years old. I was a college wow. student. And so he had his first job. I was still in school, and we had our first apartment. And with a kitchen that had been a closet, but they turned it into a kitchen for us. And... I was so excited. It was, you know, it was playing house. Sure. I was so excited at the prospect of cooking and making meals and having friends in um, that I just threw myself into it. As a college student, it's not a 24-7 job. At least it no. wasn't for me. <laughs> it definitely wasn't when I was there either. It was more of a 7-24. You know, you did a little bit of work. Well, then... I, you know, when I was, I was coming toward the end of, of, of school, um, so I had plenty of time to shop and to cook. Sure. And I had two cookbooks, the New York Times cookbook and the Settlement House cookbook. And I just would open a page and read and get excited and go out and shop and cook. And then we would invite people in. And I didn't ever burn the kitchen again. I did burn my first, um, the first thing that I was making was London broil. I don't know if you in London call See, it See, I've, I've not heard of that. I mean, was it like a stew? Or? No, it's a steak of some kind, a thick steak. I think it might be sirloin. It's kind of a slab of meat. Okay. And... Um, I guess I never made it again, but I think it was, you could put it on a grill, but we didn't have a grill. I think it was supposed to go under the broiler, but I was also making potatoes and biscuits, and I didn't know anything, and how was it all going to come out at the same time? So I put it in at 350 degrees for a very long time, right? (laughs) So it squeaked when it came out. We were newlyweds, and Michael was willing to eat just about anything. (laughs) Um, But I got better, and I really loved it. I loved... I still do. I love that I'm making something with my hands. Um, I mean, this never gets old. And I love that I get to share it with people. And that's that was really the start. It was magical for me. I think sharing has always been one of the main things that I've loved about, especially baking, food in general. But it seems to be, I've always say that you never bake for yourself. Exactly. Almost never. Um, and so to me it's always been an extension of love because it shows that you care and it shows that you've put time and effort in and then you get something delicious at the end of it and I think that's very infectious I, I well of course I agree with <laughs> of you. you of course I do <laughs> you know I put it a somewhat different way um, I have been trying to make everything baked be one of the major food groups I mean, it is mine. Well, it's not one it's, of it, just is. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, I don't... The thing about dessert is, for most people, it's not necessary. No. It's really a treat. And so when you bake, it's really special. And when you share it, as you said, you're sharing something, you're sharing a piece, you know, a little bit of love. I completely agree. And I think I've been asked a lot in the last couple of years to write healthy baking books you know clean eating baking books and i don't really understand the point because baking is meant to be a treat and if you take that element out 
it feels like just like food it's just nourishment but I think there should be something about it being special and occasional and you know indulgent every day <laughs> no, but I it's I, I a cookie a day is not going to do you any well and so you can why tell are we your even doctor? talking we can just you know oh we can just nod yes. right yeah, it would be a little boring but yes but we just agree with one another yeah um I think I would rather have one little, little piece of something fabulously delicious that's well-made, that's made with good ingredients, than... Some, there are, okay, there are plenty of things that are... Plenty of sweets that are healthful, that are delicious. But when you start using artificial ingredients and you start using substitute sweeteners and you're not using butter but some butter substitute you're not I'd, I'd much at that point I would much rather have a small piece of something I wonderful it's, it's more satisfying it is and I, that always seems to be the very French way to me as well a little bit of something very very good rather than lots of not very good it's interesting, and you're right. It's and it's kind of the way the French feel about fashion too, and sure. clothing. You know, they'll many of my friends will buy a very expensive piece of clothing, and that's it for the season. Mm. They're not buying every new fashion piece that sure. comes out. They'll spend their money on one good piece that they'll keep and buy little accessories or something. I think and that so, feels like a nice way to live as well. Well, it's kind of the way it is with dessert. You want something really good definitely um if you didn't cook when you were younger if that was the first experience what was food like when you were younger you know it's it's interesting um I, I would always say that I don't really remember dinners okay. at home um but as I'm as I'm getting older and as my parents have died and I can't call them up and say, did you make those baked apples that I'm remembering? Um, because I thought you didn't cook at all. Um, I'm Little things are, are popping up. But essentially, um, my mother didn't cook, never wanted to cook, felt that she was saved from cooking by frozen food. Yeah. Um, we were fortunate enough to have a housekeeper who was a great cook. Um, unfortunate, fortunate to have her. Unfortunately, my father had a very limited range. He would be happy with the same thing every night. And he, there was this cornmeal mush, mush thing, like, like polenta, but not, that he had had as a child. And when he discovered that the housekeeper could make it, that was served every night. So dinners were not, you know, we always ate dinner together, but they weren't, they weren't memorable. My mo what's funny is my father owned a supermarket. And so, yeah, yeah. So he was... <laughs> that seems so unintuitive. Well, and so he knew a lot about food. It was in the days when things were not packaged. You actually had to buy and know what you were buying. And my mother loved food. Um, she loved to shop for food. She was a great food shopper. She was always fun to go to the, the, the grocery with or the market. She just didn't want to touch it after she bought it. She just wanted somebody else to cook it. Um, and she was an adventurous eater. Um, and she loved going out. And so she was, she was a lot of fun to eat with. 
Um, but the food was not important. And in fact, when my first cookbook came, not, well, it was important, but it wasn't pleasurable. Sure. Oh, dear. My brother, if you're listening to this, I, I, you, <laughs> um, but um, when my first book came out, my parents were living in Florida at that time, and somebody from the Sun Sentinel newspaper came to interview my mother about, wow. about how I learned to bake. And my mother's response was, damned if I know. <laughs> oh, that's right, she didn't get it from me. But do you think you actually got your passion food from her? Because it sounds like she really she, liked food. She liked food. And my grandmother was a good cook. She okay. died when I was young, so I didn't have the opportunity to cook with her. But um, but she was, she was a good cook. And it's interesting. I think... You know, it, as 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 you get older, this makes me sound like I'm 105. I'm not, um, but things that you didn't think about before that just you you accepted in passing. When you stop to really think of them, they could become more important. And when, as I said, I got married when I was 19. I met Michael when I was 16. Wow. Yeah, and. Um, we went to have dinner at his parents' house, and they had a dinner every, like, thank goodness it's Friday. Every Friday night, they would have dinner, and it was always the same food. Always the same. Every Friday? Every Friday night. There was chicken, there was brisket made into a pot roast, and there was veal, there were only two of them. And, um, <laughs> no wonder you were invited around for dinner. And, and veal cutlets. And then you ate the rest of it for the rest kind of the week. And of vegetables that were mostly, you know, soft and brown. Um, but people would come, so they would have dinner and we would be, and then more people would come, and by the end of the night, they had a big round table, by the end of the night, there would be like two rows of people. They'd come for coffee and cake. There were cakes from a bakery down the street that was called Ebinger's that was very famous in Brooklyn um, in those days, and people would just come, and everybody was having such a good time. And they would all talk about the food that my mother-in-law's mother made. Oh dear, that's so hard. No, she no, she was she was right in there with the conversation too. Do you remember how Mama used to make? She would brown the garlic, and then she would, and they would say, "No, no, 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 no." She didn't brown the garlic, but she chopped it. And somebody else would say, "But then she would finish with," and they would all talk about Grandma's food. Even most of them weren't related in any way to grandma, but they remembered her and they all talked about how much fun it was to eat together and what a good cook grandma was. And I loved that. And I think now when I look back, that was really important to me. Less for the food than for that wonderful feeling of people being around the table and so sharing. It, it was as if you were trying to learn to cook to bring out that feeling for yourself. I think it was mostly, yeah, we come back to the idea that I was playing house. And house included friends coming in and you know sharing food and drink. And, and I started to bake because I discovered early on that A, I liked it, but B, people would eat dinner and say, mm, that was good, and then you'd bring dessert. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd say, wow, you made that? 
Do you have the thing where if you go to someone's house, they look very disappointed when you're empty-handed? What did you bring today? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I did have to leave at 4am this morning, so I didn't have quite enough time to bake. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to bring something homemade. Um, so, I, um, I've been baking... And you said something about cookies also, because you said that, well, you, you, you'll, you never rarely bake for yourself. No, and I think cookies are a, a, an example of that, because obviously a cookie is a batch bake. A batch. And so you always have many around. I make a cookie that's very similar in style to the, um, well, peace cookie, and I always turn it into two logs. One log goes in the freezer, always given to a friend, and then one gets baked off straight away. And I think um, there's an incredible way of serving it for a guest if you take it to the house. Um, I take a batch that is baked, and then I would take a batch that is in a log, frozen or cold, so they oh. can put it in the freezer and bake those whenever they want. I love that idea. I just think it extends the pleasure of oh, it. Oh, I and love it's a really that nice idea. hostess gift. Why didn't I ever think of that? <laughs> because, you because, probably no, did. No, 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 no. No, because I'm such a mother, right? I want to do everything for everyone. Whereas if you, you know, when you give them a log of dough, they have to do it for themselves. Well, I just think but that's a. I love that. I think it probably came. I teach a, a class where we make the cookie, and they make a whole batch themselves. And because of timing, we don't want and box sizes, we don't ask them to bake the whole lot. And so I came up with a way of saying, take these with you, bake those off whenever you fancy. And to be honest, I do it myself at home. Oh, Ed, I love this idea. I'm taking it. You know, Good, you can you take have, it. Okay, right. Can you, you can have, edit the book? You can, <laughs> it's, not, it's not finished yet. <laughs> you can have full credit for it. Um, so, so yes, it's all. So I, I have a book coming out, or by the time this comes out, maybe out. Um, Possibly, pub, I think pub, it'll just be before it comes out. Yeah, pub date in America is October. No, twenty fifth. Twenty fifth. Oh, it'll be out before that then, yeah. for sure. Yeah. October twenty fifth. It's called Dory's Cookies. And while I was working on it, um, obviously I was baking cookies for years, <laughs> and there were Endlessly. lots and lots of cookies. And I'd always, like you, always shared what I baked, but I had a lot of cookies to share, and. Um, I re-realized, if you can say that, that you, if, if you give a cookie, if you give somebody something, you get back such joy that it's fun, to, it's fun to be the sharee, but it's really fun to be the sharer as well. There's just an incredible, um, payoff's the wrong word, just because it makes it seem like you're doing it for that reason, but... I think as a bonus of making something for someone, you get so much pleasure from them. And it's such a sweet gesture and simple gesture. It and doesn't simple. take effort. And exactly, simple. simple. And simple. So I was thinking, as I was giving away cookies like the Pied Piper of <laughs> Cookie Land, um, that it's a solid thing. If you give somebody a cookie, you get joy. Absolutely. No, it's an equation that works. Yes. And we're not exactly in the best of times. I don't know if you've <laughs> no. noticed or not, but like the world is a little wobbly. Uh, just a little. Yeah. And so I thought I could start a campaign. I can't make the world better. I've tried. I'll still try, but I probably am not going to succeed. But I can make it sweeter, and I can get everybody else to do that with me. And so I started just a couple of days ago. Um, a campaign that I'm calling Cookies and Kindness. So hashtag Cookies and Kindness. <laughs> and I want everybody to bake cookies 
and share them and then post. And it's such a simple idea. When you email me about it, I instantly thought, well, that's a great idea because everybody can bake a batch of cookies because there are super simple things up to, you know, silly, complicated things. So, and everybody has the time and the money to be able to bake, uh, to bake a batch of cookies and give that joy to someone else and then receive it back. And it's just a simple, simple thing. It's so, so simple. And it's such, and you know, whether you do it with for a neighbor, whether it's for children, um, every month I'm posting um, a recipe on my site with a little theme. So September, back to school, is this adorable cookie that's a chocolate chip cookie, but it's really only one chip, so it's called Two Bites, <laughs> One Chip. You just tuck one chip in there, so it's really a snacker. Um, but people can bake, of course, you know, anything they want. And just, Sharon, I've gotten, it's only a few days ago that I that I said, let's all, you know, bake and share. Um, I've gotten such touching notes from people who um, found a really sweet reason to share. And also fun stuff, like um, Elizabeth Faulkner, who's a mm. chef in New York, um, she baked cookies for the farmers at the green market. That's wonderful. Which is so great. I baked cookies for my mailman. Um, and I, I left them in my mailbox. I have made mine. I have shared them. I haven't posted yet. I will be doing um, I took mine to a meeting. So I did the same thing. I took half of the batch with me, um, uh, baked, and then half uh, chilled for them to bake at their pleasure. Um, and it, it made the meeting a breeze. It made it much more fun uh, than it would have been. It would have been quite dry and boring, and people's eyes light up when you present them with cookies. I once, I, I often take baked goods to meetings. I once took a cake uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I got a very confused look as to... <laughs> Why have you brought cake? And then that disappeared of, you brought cake? <laughs> and you just instantly turned it around. And I think there is no situation where it can't be improved with cookies or something Co- cookie, homemade. Cookies can make the world better. I definitely think so. I In my post I have written, making the world better one cookie at a time. Because cookies put joy on everybody's face from you know a little child to you know the oldest person it's a universal i think and it's a good time for cookies so hashtag cookies, <laughs> cookies and kindness <laughs> definitely and we will i'll be writing on the website all about it when this goes up as well yay so um Thank just because you. i i clearly you're a believer i mean it, it was it was like almost reading my mind when you read the email just because it's such an obvious thing but it's such a nice thing to do and it is such an easy thing for people to do and i think also, the way you, you've done it by actually asking people to post about it, it also is showing people online that there is niceness out there because I think social media has become a slightly darker place sometimes. And just to see these little, you know, little flashes of happiness and joy and simplicity, I think is a really nice thing. So Thank I you. hope it flies with success. I really do. Um, but cookies seem to have been a constant for you. They've been in a lot of the books. Actually, I think all of the books. All the books have cookies, yeah. And you definitely seem to have an affinity with them. I mean, I think you're probably... I would think your most famous recipe is the World Peace Cookie. I think that's how I first heard of you, was through that cookie. What's the story behind that one? That cookie really belongs to Pierre Hermé. So I met Pierre. I always say, Pierre, when did we meet? And he said, well, we were born together. <laughs> so, but, Which is doesn't really help me because... No. <laughs> doesn't pinpoint it quite. No, so I think I, think I met P. 
here maybe 1993, so we know one another a very long yeah. time. Um, maybe it was, you know, it might have been 91, in which case we'd be celebrating our, tw- is it 25? 25, yeah. 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 Wow. Oh, Pierre, I have to call him and tell him we have to celebrate. <laughs> um, yeah, it might have been 91 after my first book came out. Um, anyway, we met one another and um, we started working together in the mm, later 90s, I think, and we wrote two books together. Many chocolate and the first desserts. dessert, yeah, yeah, desserts by Pierre Hermé, and then chocolate desserts by Pierre Hermé. And while we were working, he was he became the menu consultant, maybe just for desserts. I don't remember for a restaurant called Corova, and it doesn't exist any longer. No. And, but that cookie. So he, <laughs> the cookie has lived the cookie. Long, so long he time. created the the Corova cookie. Yes. And that never went off the menu. And I put that cookie in um, my book Paris Sweets. Which at, I just have to say is still my favorite book you've ever written. Oh. There's no images in it. No. But it gives me this incredible sense of Paris. And I have read that many, many oh, times. Oh, I have such a soft spot for that. Thank you. I think um, it's just a wonderful book. It's just I loved very writing evocative. that book. Thank you. Um, and on page six of that book is the Corova cookie. It's I know it's. I, made it I know it's page six because every time somebody would say to me, "Where should I? You know, what should I bake in first in the book?" I would say page six. Um, so it was. It was the Corova cookie, and I. I put it in in um, Paris Sweets, and then I was working on my next book, which was um, Baking from My Home to Yours. And I was in New York in our apartment's elevator, and Richard Gold, who lived on the ninth floor, got on the elevator and said, you know those chocolate cookies of yours? We love them, but we don't call them whatever it is you call them. (laughs) We call them world peace cookies. Because, ta-da, if everyone in the world had this cookie, there would be peace. And I hadn't planned to republish the recipe, but with a name like that, I How had to. Right, had to, <laughs> had to. And so in um, Baking from My Home to Yours, I published um, the cookie as the World Peace Cookie. And boy, it just took off. The name alone was, and there was a wonderful story. I got a snail mail letter from um, a woman in San Diego, California, who said that she was part of a group called Grandmothers for Peace. (laughs) And they had been standing on a street corner asking the world to be peaceful since the Vietnam War. Wow. Every Saturday. And what they would do is talk about cookies and kindness. They would bake cookies and they would give people cookies and say, I'll give you this cookie if you'll go home and bake a batch of cookies and give a cookie to someone else. That's so they had the, the as I'm saying this to you, I'm just realizing, <laughs> right? So they had cookies Full and kindness. Circle. Yeah, well yeah. before I did in the whole, you know, sharing. And she wrote to me and she said, I just heard about your World Peace Cookie and I've made it and I love it and I think it's just right for Grandmothers for Peace. Would it be okay with you if we made the cookie and handed out the recipe as well? 
I said, of course, I was, you know, this, this meant, yeah, it was really, really special. Um, and so this cookie has just traveled everywhere. It's, it's really been around the world. I was in Japan and somebody said, somebody <laughs> recognized me and said, world peace cookie. <laughs> and I, I, I've talked to Pierre about this because um, it's just, it's just taken off in, in such a way. And it's actually um, the cookie on the cover of my new book. Yeah. And it looks incredible on the cover. It's such an imposing kind of... Because it looks delicious. You've got that slightly melted chocolate in there. And it just looks very, very attractive. So Yeah, I also had a great photographer. <laughs> and I, 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 the pictures, I'm, I'm, I'm so crazy about the pictures in this in this new book. They were done by Davide Luciano, um, whom I met when, um, I met him when our son, Joshua, and I um, started a cookie business. I, it reminds me of the branding. From Burr and Sell. Well, that's that's a coincidence. Oh, okay. But, um, but, okay, so can I can just jump around a yeah, little bit? Yeah, of course. Yeah? Yeah, okay, so I'm jumping backwards to your questions about cookies having been um, important. I recently was asked to write about um, a holiday ritual, and I wrote about baking cookies with Joshua, our son, because we did every year and that's what we gave to teachers for gifts um and then the magazine asked if i could find a picture of the two of us speaking i don't have i mean i'm horrible i haven't saved pictures i mean thank goodness we now can save them you know in the ether right but i found i did find a picture of us baking cookies together but i found a picture of Joshua at his first birthday party. Wow. And I'm holding him. He's wearing this adorable little outfit that was probably 30 <laughs> years old when, when he put it on. It belonged to, I don't know, Michael, I guess. Um, but I'm holding him, and he's cute. Of course he's cute. <laughs> and he's eating a cookie. Wow. So it started early. It really did. It started early. When I say when you moved him to solid food, here's a cookie. Straight here's away. a cookie. Right. I want your life to be sweet. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, you know, I I, I wrote in um, in my introduction that I came from a family of cookie lovers and that I created a family of cookie lovers. <laughs> and you know, it sounds good, but it's actually true. true. Yeah. yeah, it's true. That's wonderful. Um, Something I've always respected about about you and about chefs of different styles is the fact that you're self-taught. And for me, that's always got a little short shrift. I know when I started, I got a lot of questioning about the fact that I was trying to have a career in food and I had no training. And I find it utterly fascinating that self-taught people to me always seem to have an endless fascination and always inquisitive about food. And I think, to me, that seems to sum you up. You always seem to have a thank very oh, energetic you. inquisitiveness about it. You couldn't say something better than that, really. Because I'll tell, I worked with Julia Child, mm. um, and one day she said to me, we're so lucky to work in food. I completely agree. She said, we're so lucky because we'll never stop learning. Isn't that interesting? It's, it's, it's something I have had in my head for many years. Um, a chef once told me, a pastry chef, if you stop learning, you have to stop cooking immediately because it means 
you can't be effective because you should always, always be trying to learn something new. And I think it's completely true. I think it's true in every field. And I feel sorry for people who have to work at something that doesn't interest them constantly and doesn't make them want to learn more. I completely agree. To me, it feels like I never work. I do, obviously. But it feels like I'm having the most fun because I'm always trying to find... Some, some way to do something or just something new or some new inspiration and I think to have that kind of constant inquisitive nature is a wonderful thing to have I think uh, I've worked with so many chefs and which is actually how I learned so I'll just answer speak to what you said so when I tried to get my first job in the kitchen um, my very first interview the hirer said um, why do you think you can work in this kitchen you have no training there's nothing you've done she said to me you need to go to the CIA the Culinary Institute of America I said well I can't she said what do you mean you can't don't you care I said well yeah I care but um, I don't have the money and I do have a 15-month-old son and a husband. And the Culinary Institute, you have to sleep all... It's like a pajama party. You have to go and stay there. I can't, I can't do that. She said, well, clearly you don't care about your career. Wow. Closed door. Um, but I was, I was very lucky because I was taken under the wings of many people. Mm. And um, I got to work with the most amazing chefs. When um, when I realized, when I got my first kitchen job and I got fired after a month and then I got my second job. And you didn't burn that kitchen down too. I didn't burn it down, but I did <laughs> replace the raisins in the recipe with prunes and never told anybody. Sounds good to me. <laughs> well, yeah, actually what the, what the, before there was the hirer, this was the firer. What she said to me was, um, that was some cake you sent up. And I said, did you like it? She said, that's not the point. She said, it was a good cake, but you didn't tell it. She said, it's, it's the specialty of the house. People expect raisins, not prunes. Everyone's favorite fruit, right? And um, I said, did you like it? She said, as I said. That's not the point. You're fired. I said, fired? She said, yes, for creative insubordination. <laughs> is that fabulous? I would say, I think I would wear that as a badge of honor. It took me years. Yeah, of it, course, it, yeah. It, it, took, of it, course. It, it took me years. But I was working, I had met Jean-Georges von Gerstein just when he opened um, French Chef, came to New York in 1986. And I met him when he came to New York and was writing an article about him for a magazine and he'd never um he'd never done this before mm. he'd never been interviewed he hadn't done recipes for a magazine and so he said well can you come work in the kitchen and so i ended up working in his kitchen for 6 months wow yeah um and i learned of course. Oh, so much. And then while I was there, I met the editor, the food editor of Elle magazine, which had just launched in America and had food, fabulous food at the time. And I had submitted a story to Elle, and they bought it, and I never heard from them again. And so I met the editor, Jean-Georges said to me, there's someone you should meet outside. 
and I met her and she said I know you I'm publishing I said yeah yeah she said why haven't you done another story I said well I never heard she said oh but I have you you're going tomorrow to meet (laughs) and that started years of my working for Elle and working with the most fabulous chefs. So that's how I met Danielle Lulu. That's how I met Alain Ducasse. I mean, I got, and, it, and with each chef, I got to learn something and work. And so I wasn't trained. I really was self taught mm. from, you know, trial, error, lots and lots of cookbooks. Um, you know, I, there used to be the New York Sunday Times. Um, the centerfold of the magazine was a recipe. <laughs> and I would make, whatever it was, I would make that. The Kulibiak was a little difficult, but I would make it during the week. Um, and so I had learned enough that I knew what to ask these sure. chefs, and, and, and I learned with them. So in a way, I had an apprenticeship. I think you, I was so to lucky. me, you seem to have had the most amazing apprenticeship. I was you so lucky. With the most amazing people have, right, you know, and then I got to work with Pierre Hermé, so that was pretty swell. How did you uh, make the move to Paris? How did that first happen? So, Paris, we've been living, we've been, I say I've been commuting between <laughs> New York and Paris for 20 years. Um, I met Pierre, and we started working together, and I would fly over and spend four days in Paris and go back. And But I had fallen in love with Paris the first day I come here. I mean, I just, <laughs> I, <coughs> excuse me, I um, returned from Paris, went directly to my parents' home, said to my mother, I used to think you were perfect, and now I'm not so sure. I said, you had me in Brooklyn, New York, instead of Paris. <laughs> it took me years to forgive her. Um, but I just felt this, this affinity for Paris immediately. And so when I was working with Pierre, I was going back and forth, and Michael, my husband, said, you know, maybe we should rent an apartment for a year. Just see how that goes, and you can be easier for you to work. And now... 20 years later. Here we are, yeah. <laughs> 20 years and three apartments later, um, we're here, yeah. Wow, wow. Um, I think it's probably time to go to our last section, or our second section, even, which is something we call the shopping list. So it's very, very easy... And it's meant to be a little bit of fun. So it's just a very quick fire round. So it's basically choosing between lists of two things. And you can expand on your answer. Or you can, if you don't want to. Or if you disagree with my choices, you can dismiss them entirely. It's completely up to you. Um, and this is basically just meant to be silly. Okay. I tried to pick like things silly. that I thought you might struggle to answer, which is normally <laughs> well, much more Well, not so funny. silly. Okay. <laughs> um, so... France or America? Oh, come on. That's your first question? You start with something that difficult? I thought you were my friend. You can, ha- you can, you can also say the question is invalid. That's fine. Well, the question is difficult is what it is. Um, so I found these cocktail napkins in Paris mm. that say on one side, they say work in New York and on the other side they say play in Paris I can I can get on board with that I okay think, I think that answers the question fine okay I think that's good um dark or milk chocolate dark perfect um salted or unsalted butter salted not for baking but oh I love salted butter I love French 
butter with fleur de sel in it. And I, my favorite thing is toasted sourdough with lashings of salted butter. So and that's it. Yep. It's just delicious. Um, sweet or salty? Or both? That's as bad as France <laughs> or America. So I would have said salty. I would have said sweet, sorry, immediately. Um, but now I'm, I think I'm 50-50. I think that's good. And I also would say I think um, some of my favorite sweet things have, have an element so- of salt. I think all sweet things should have some salt in oh, there. I think it helps. Okay, wait. Time out. Time out. Time out. <laughs> so when I met Pierre in whatever it was, early sure. 90s, whatever, we were talking about baking. And he said salt is so important in baking. So this is, you know, 91 or 93 or something. And if you think back... At that, well, you can't think back, because were you even born then? I was, um, if you met him in 91, I was six. Okay, so you don't have to think back. You just listen to me. I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> yes, Dory, I will listen. Okay. I will listen. <laughs> so recipes, but you can see it in recipes now. Recipes would say, a pin- yes. sweet recipes, a pinch of salt. And a pinch was not even an eighth of a teaspoon. It was, no. you know, three grains of salt. And now, and Pierre said to me, and he was the first person to say it to me, think of... And it seems, you know, we just take it for granted now. He said, but think of salt in baking the same way that you think of it in savory foods. It's a seasoning. You're seasoning the ingredients. And now I find when I taste baked goods that don't have salt, it's really missing to me. And I feel like you're wasting some ingredients. You're wasting butter. You're wasting chocolate. um, You're wasting caramel. If you don't add the salt, and that way you get all the flavor out of the ingredients. I'm sorry, that was no, no. It's wanted. fine. I, I was going to say I completely agree. And of course you do because <laughs> we don't disagree well, about anything. <laughs> I've also had uh, I've had an argument with a proofreader. So um, my first book was proofread by um, uh, an old food editor from a food magazine in the UK, and uh, she was from a different generation of food writing in the UK where it was always a pinch of salt. And when my first proof came back, she had changed all my salt measurements <gasps> to a pinch. And I had a very polite argument saying, it needs a certain level of salt. And she didn't understand it. And she just went, that's in your hands, fine. It's up to you. And I, I said, thank you. I'll- that is meant to be how it's written. And I think, I'm, you know, Pierre was so ahead of his time, I think, that even five years ago, I was having that argument. That's um, really interesting. Well, That's it doesn't re- happen now. My last book, it wasn't an issue. Yeah, but I, and, and, and we see it in food as we buy, you know, pastry or, I mean, oh, salt absolutely. is just... Oh, it's a re- trend in the UK, you know, everything is salted these days. And they will tell you, milk, chocolate and salt. And it has become much more commonplace, I yeah. think. For a good, I think for a very, very good. Um, fruit or chocolate? Chocolate covered fruit? <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> I, I, can, I can agree with you. <laughs> Um, fine dining or home cooking? Home cooking. I knew you were going to say that. No, but it's interesting. I would have years, years ago, I, I would have said fine dining. And I still, I adore going out and I love going to a really, really good recipe, um, restaurant. But I'm, these days, I'm really all about elbows on the table. I think you, I, I think I read a quote from you or I heard a quote from you and it was about the joy of eating with elbows on table yep. and... Yep. Low key, and just yeah. being able to—it comes down once again to having people around the table. You know, Completely a home cooked meal and friends and family. Completely and agree. That's um, perfection. Last question, and this one I think will be an easy one, oh, considering the next book: cookies or cake? 
cookies. Exactly. I, I, no, I like I thought cake. I, I should have done that one first. It's a no, nice, no, no, easy. No, no, no. I, like, I made you a cake for dessert for tonight. Amazing. Um, but I also made cookies. <laughs> I know, they have been sat at the side of the counter in my periphery for the whole yeah. time. Um, um, our final section is, again, just something very silly. Um, you can also not take part of it. It's absolutely fine. It's called the recycling bin. And basically, you get five minutes, and if, there, if you want to have a rant against an ingredient or a food trend, something that you cannot stand. We've had avocado, and we, uh, mine was clean eating, which is a current trend back home. Um, it's just something that you would happily get rid of. And then if you convince me, I will put it in the recycling bin. <laughs> the metaphorical <laughs> recycling bin. Sadly, I don't have the power. Oh, actually... I know I seem so sweet and nice, um, but I have Don't things ruin the I can't. Yeah, I, there are things I can't stand. Um, there, there are two things. I don't think I. I was going to say I don't think I feel really strongly, about, but that's not true. I do. Okay, so I really don't like pale pastry. I, I mean, obviously, we know what's going to happen. I completely agree. It's not right. It's not right. It's not right. So when I see a pie crust or a tart shell that's ivory colored, well, it usually gets a little, but no, sometimes it's it's yep. so pale. A shop bought things to me are surprisingly, I'm like, that doesn't even look like it has gone through an oven. It is so blonde and mealy in texture. Well, because it's not, it's not baked. That really bothers me. And so it's funny, the way I said that, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of cheating your ingredients and cheating yourself if you don't put enough salt in something. If you don't bake something enough, you're, it's the same kind of cheat. You're missing out on the nuttiness of the butter when butter is, 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 is really browned in the oven, when sugar is caramelized, when, I mean, who wants raw flour? Ew. Oh, it doesn't taste good. No, and you can definitely detect it when you eat something like that. And so now that I'm complaining, wait, there's something else that bothers me. (laughs) Well, we have to stop the podcast right there. Oh, no, no, no. Actually, it's it's kind of related. Um, I don't like cookies that are almost raw. So it's the same kind of, you know, pale pastry. Um, When cookies get really, really big, it's very hard to bake them properly, and so the inside is kind of like cookie dough. And I don't like that. I also, I think there are some cookies that are spectacular warm, but I think that cooling is part of the baking process. And it's true for many things, but I think it's particularly true for cookies, that they really don't come into their own. They don't become the cookie they want to be until they're cool. This is, of course, true with, you know, crunchy cookies and yeah. crackly cookies. I mean, cookies. like, for example, the, the World Peace cookie, it's, you know, it's tasty warm, but it gets that perfect texture after it's sat and finished and cooled. I think so, too. I mean, I always eat one warm. Always. <laughs> Chef's but, treat. Um, Chef's treat, exactly. But you're right. You don't get the chewiness and you don't get the contrast of the chunks of chocolate when they've firmed a little bit against the chewiness of the cookie. Um, well, I think for me, the contrast in a cookie is often the best thing. You know, a chocolate chip cookie with a crisp edge and the, the soft, chewy inside. I think there's a beauty in that. I think it's hard to know how much, what, 
I was I failed math, so I took actually oh. I took you know so I, I was going to say what percentage of but like I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't know how to do that. But what texture is such an important part of our enjoyment of food? Definitely. Taste, of course, but texture too. And when you're baking, you don't. It's hard to get a great texture unless you've baked something through and allowed it to cool. My rant. Will you put it in the recycling They're bin? They're both going to go in the recycling bin. That's absolutely fine. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> um, again, thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast. It is always an absolute pleasure to see you. Um, and I'm amazed you're cooking me dinner, so I'm even more happy. Oh, we're going to have such fun. <laughs> this was fun, but now we're going to be able to make... Now the real fun begins. No, 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 no. no. Now we can eat cookies and make noise while we eat yes. them. Yes, yeah, we, we can move. <laughs> we don't have to. Yeah. Um, so your Thank new you. book comes Thank out you. on October the... 25th. The 25th. And it's, it's called, called Dory's, Dory's cookies. cookies. I have to say, a copy has been sat to the side of me, and as soon as it's over, I'm grabbing it and flicking through. <laughs> it's actually, I have, I just got this copy. There are only about 10, I think. Wow. Yeah, so... Um, you can show it to me. I'll show it to you. We can do it page by page. Um, and your website is dorygreenspan.com. Right. And everybody, please do check out Cookies and Kindness. It's a really simple but wonderful project. And I do hope it I hope, spreads far and wide. Thank well. you so much. I hope we'll all be baking and sharing and being being kind to one another. We definitely need, we need it. That. We definitely. need it. Thank you thank so you very much. much. Thank you. So that was the fabulous Dory Greenspan. I hope you now see why I describe her as one of the nicest people in food. She's just one of my favourite, favourite people. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at TheBoyWhoBakes as that's where I will always post first about new episodes. On the next episode, it's with another Paris-based food writer, this time with Harry Eastwood, all about her new meat cookbook, Carnival. With that, I'm off out for cocktails and tacos. So I will see you next time. Bye-bye.